0: Uh, my name is Derek Carpenter. I'm one of the pastors and elders here. Um, Adam, thanks for the lights. That's awesome. I'm going to begin with a question this morning. Um, imagine with me, and some of us don't have to imagine, but, but imagine with me you've been diagnosed with cancer. Yeah, horrible. Uh, you've been diagnosed with cancer, and it's advanced stages. You have two weeks to live. So it's one of those things where you've gone to the doctor, you got the second opinion, and there's nothing they can do. It's too far past. You go home and you start getting things ready for, I've only got two weeks. You know, what would you be doing? You'd be calling people, you'd be putting finances in order, all that stuff. You're doing that, and then the doorbell rings. And there at the door is a, a nice looking man in a suit, and he says, I've, I've heard about your condition. Uh, I know you have two weeks to live, and I happen to have a pill that will take away your cancer, not only take it away, make it so you never get any kind of disease the rest of your life. Now, of course, immediately you go, oh, it's a hoax. Imagine it's not a hoax. And somehow he proves to you he actually has this pill that will cure you now and then for the rest of your life. How much would you pay for that pill? A hundred bucks? A thousand bucks? How much would you pay for that pill? How much wouldn't you pay? Think about that. What if it cost you everything and you wound up on the street homeless? Would you still do it? I would. It'd be better to be alive than dead with all your stuff, because if you're dead, you don't have your stuff anyway. (laughs) That's what we're looking at this morning. We're continuing our series, The Kingdom of God is Like, and we're going to look at three parables today. That right in a row where Jesus said, the kingdom of God is like, and then he tells us a story. And then the kingdom of God is like, tells us another story, and then a third story. And we're going to look at those three stories. But here, here's the question we start with. What would you give in order to receive eternal life in a new, perfect body, in perfect relationship with God and others on a perfect earth? That's the question that Jesus is answering this morning. What would you give for that? Now, just so you know, if you're new to Common Ground, we believe that the Bible is the infallible word of God. That God, uh, it says it's breathed out by God. That basically God breathed and the words appeared on the page. But the way he did it was through human personalities. So he worked through people like Matthew and John and Peter and Paul and others where the Holy Spirit urged them to write. And we believe that what they wrote is true every word of it. And that what we have now has been accurately brought down. Now, I'm not going to get into all those details, but you've heard the arguments that, oh, it's been translated from Greek and, and reproduced over and over that what we have now isn't what we had then. Go, go look it up. We actually have copies that are so close to the original and so many of them that we know what we have in the Greek is what was originally written. There's ways that they've done that. So, but it's amazing how much it's miraculous how many of those copies have survived? So we believe that the Bible is the word of God and true throughout. Now, there's some details where wise people, knowledgeable theologians can actually disagree. Uh, but we believe what, it, what needs to be known is very, very clear. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of that today. Turn to Matthew, if you would. Turn to Matthew chapter 13. I share that because I hope that as I, as I teach, you open up your Bible. And there's one under your seat if you need one or you use your phone whatever but that you read because let me tell you a secret a lot of times pastors are wrong It's true a lot of time now I would say a lot of other pastors are wrong and I'm always right and I hope that's true but I'll tell you this I think there's going to be t- when I stand before the throne I think there's going to be some things where Jesus is like you were close on this but you were a little off you know I don't think anybody's got it perfect so what I'm saying is, as I teach, look at your Bible. The Bible's the authority, not me, okay? And if you want to question me, question me. That's a good thing. If you move out of this town and you go somewhere else, you go to another church, question what they're teaching. Make sure it's the Bible, because that's the authority, not me. Okay, hope we got that. Matthew 13. Here's the first parable. One verse, Matthew 13, 44. 1344, Jesus says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and he buys that field. Jesus is in Palestine. He's in the the region of Judah, Judea. This is where Israel had been for hundreds of years. But there was this thing that happened called the the deportation. They had gotten captured by Babylon and then to Persia. So there were several times that Israel was conquered and then most of their citizens were taken somewhere else. Uh, If you read the book of Daniel, Daniel was one of those who was taken from Israel to Babylon. Um, He became one of the main leaders in Babylon. He was such a godly man. But what would happen is you know, the enemies would surround Jerusalem, Judea, This place. they would surround, they would be moving in, and a family, they go, okay, they're gonna conquer us, they're gonna deport us, what would they do with their treasure? If they're being captured, it's just gonna be taken. They would go bury it. It was a regular thing for them to go bury their treasure somewhere in a field. They didn't even have banks. Even in times of peace, they didn't have banks the way we have banks. And so a lot of times they would bury their wealth, their gold, their jewel, whatever they had, they would bury it. Then they would get deported, Sometimes they would come back, a lot of times they wouldn't. So this is actually a real situation where somebody could be working in a field and happen upon a bag of treasure. They could dig it up. And the law was if you dug it up and you pulled it out, it belonged to whoever owned the land. But if you left it there and then you bought the land, that was actually legal. You could then buy the land and the treasure would be yours. So that's the the picture that Jesus is giving. Say you're working in a field... You know, say I had you over and Josh came over and worked yesterday um, and and did some help. And say Josh found, you know, a bunch of gold right here. And Derek's not looking, he buries it. And then he comes home and he's like, hey, mom, dad, we need to buy their property. Well, how much are they asking? Who cares? Sell everything and buy it and then dig it up and, and you have this treasure. That's the picture. What would you give... How much would you give for something even greater? And so he's comparing the kingdom of heaven to that. The kingdom of heaven to that. How is the kingdom of heaven valuable? Because that's what the treasure is. The treasure is Jesus. The treasure is his kingdom. The treasure is eternity with him. And as I was kind of studying through, and I'm going to hop around to a couple other verses just to show you the value of the kingdom. Uh, I'm going to turn to Ephesians. You can turn there or you can just listen. But in Ephesians 1, here we go. Ephesians 1 verse 5 says this. He, referring to God, predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ according to the purpose of His will. So here's one of those things. You choose to follow Jesus as Lord. And we've seen previous weeks that there is no other option. You know, Jesus isn't one option among many. He is the option. But when we are saved, when we place our faith in him, we are adopted. So we're not just saved. We don't just get our fire insurance. We don't have to go to hell. We get adopted. Anybody in here ever been adopted? Some of us have. Yeah, Paul was adopted. I mean, adopted. The family you joined, you became part of that family if they were good adopted parents. You became like a real child. That's what happens with us and God. We get brought into his family, made heirs. It says this in Ephesians 1.11. In him, that is in Jesus, we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of His glory. In Him, you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. This treasure, when we place our faith in Jesus Christ, we get the Holy Spirit. That's huge. And that he is a seal that someday we will receive the full inheritance. And we're not going to look at all the passages that talk about that inheritance. But here's what that inheritance looks like. We're going to be in Jesus's presence. We're going to get a new body. We're going to get crowns with jewels in it. We're going to, we're going to get to be on a new heaven and a new earth. So it's not the, the pie in the sky, clouds, heaven that you see in the comic strips. And maybe you pictured like I did as a kid. It's actually a lot like what we see, only perfect. That's our inheritance, that we get to be there forever. Now, as you read Revelation, you see that our crowns, our treasures that were, we're given, we cast them back before Jesus because we know the real treasure is just being with him. So that is, that is our inheritance. That is what we're promised. 1 Thessalonians 4, verse 13. Let me look at that one. 1 Thessalonians 4, starting in verse 13. This talks about when Jesus returns. Says, but we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, those who had died, that you may not grieve as others who do not hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, that's what we believe. Even so, through Jesus, God will bring with Him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by a word from the Lord, that who we who are alive who are left until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, with the sound of the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. This is the treasure that if you accept Christ, you have this treasure. When you die, you get to come back alive, <laughs> eternal life. That's what it teaches, that you get a new body. If you die now and Jesus comes back later, you'll be one of the first to be raised to a new body. If you are here, and I hope we are, when he returns, we will, we will be given a new body without dying. Kind of cool. This is in your notes. When you understand the grace of God, you recognize the incomparable worth of his kingdom. Also in Ephesians 2, 8, 9, it talks about, For by grace you have been saved through faith, that by not of yourselves it is the gift of God, not by works, so no one can boast. All of this inheritance is free. It's free. You don't have to be good. You don't have to do religion in order to get it. It's his grace. And so we understand this treasure. But it's not just eternal. It's also temporal. So we have this treasure that is forever and ever, But also, what are the values right now? This past week when I met with a group of guys, and one of the questions that I asked was, why are you glad you're a Christian? Why are you glad you follow Jesus? And the things I heard were hope, because I know where I'm going forever. Whatever happens in this life, this life is this. Eternity is this. Hope, peace was another thing that was brought up. When life happens, I can trust that God's in control. Even when it's horrible, even when it's cancer, even whatever, whatever. I know God's in control and I can trust him so I can have peace. In the book of Philippians, Paul writes, uh, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything with prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. And listen to this. And the peace that passes understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. People that don't have a relationship with Jesus do not have that. If you don't know Jesus as Lord, you've never experienced what I'm talking about. If you do know Jesus as Lord and you've ever had to do this, you know what I'm talking about. Life happens and you prayerfully give it to Jesus. And then all of a sudden you're okay. Now you have to constantly give it in this, but, but you have peace. It's a trust thing. It's a, okay, God, you're, you're all powerful. You know what's best. I trust you in this peace, joy. I mean, our American society, we pursue happiness. It's all about what makes you happy, right? True happiness is really joy, not based on circumstances. These are the temporal benefits of this treasure. Now, here's the next parable. Matthew 13, 45 and 36. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls, who, on finding one pearl of great value, went and sold all that he had And he bought it. I find this interesting. Uh, You know, growing up, I read these parables. But most of the time, I'll be totally honest, I just read through them. Okay, that's cool. But here he's saying the same thing, but there's something different. What's different about these two people? One stumbles upon it, the treasure, and, and recognizes the value and sells everything for it. One is looking for it. And when he sees it, he recognizes it and sells everything and buys it. There's a difference there. People come to Jesus in different ways. I've heard stories of people just walking down the street. This is in one of the the great revivals. This guy was walking down the street in Chicago, New York. I don't know what it was. um, On his way to kill somebody and then kill himself and walked past a prayer meeting happening in a church and for some reason decided to go in. And he stumbled in and heard the gospel, gave his life to Christ and everything changed. That's the person that just kind of found the treasure but then there's those people that are searching for truth. And a lot of us fit that. They're searching for what's going to fulfill. And so they try this and try that and try this. And when that person really understands the gospel, really understands that it's not, there's not going to be a scale that weighs my good and bad. That's a, hor- that's a scary way to live. But they understand that it's based on Jesus, God in flesh, dying for my sins and rising from the dead and I can be eternally secure in him. By placing my faith in him. When they get that and then they look at what comes, I want that. They've been looking for it. Then they see it. They recognize it. That's this person searching for the pearl and they see it. And oh my goodness. And they've got these other pearls. That's what sticks out to me with this one. On finding one pearl of great value. This is a a merchant. This is somebody who had a whole bunch of pearls already. That's what they, they deal in pearls. So they had all these, but they got rid of all these to get the one. What pearls do we have in our life that we hold on to rather than letting them go for the one that is significant? Matthew 19, just a couple pages over, starting in verse 16. Here, there's a young man. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, Jesus, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? He's asking for this eternal treasure. What, what must I do to get the treasure? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There's only one good. If you would enter into this life, keep the commandments. I'm talking really about the Ten Commandments. And he said to him, Which ones? And so he lists some of those, some of the, the, the Ten Commandments. Verse 20, The young man said to him, All these I have kept. What do I still lack? Now, some would say, No way could you keep them, but really, the religious elite, they had kept these Ten Commandments well. And so he thinks, I've done good deeds, I get to earn my way to heaven. Jesus says to him in verse 21, or he says, The young man says in verse 20, All these I have kept, what do I still lack? Jesus said to him, If you would be perfect, go sell what you possess, give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. And come, follow me. When the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. So this man was religious, obviously, and he was wealthy. That was a, a pearl, and so he said, "Okay, what must I do to have this great treasure?" Jesus, well, you need to give up these other pearls to get this pearl. You can't have both pearls. This guy goes, ah, "I really like my treasure," and went away sad. By the way, m- many theologians would argue that rich man was Mark who ended up writing the gospel of Mark, a partner of Peter. Um, so maybe this man eventually was saved. But what are those pearls that we choose? Kind of like last week we looked at the, the different soils receiving the word of God. And there's a weedy soil that grows up, but is choked out and never produces because the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke it out. That's what this is talking about as well. What is the cost what is eternal life with Jesus worth to you? So, does anybody here have a dollar? Anybody here have a dollar that they would trade with me? I, do. I will give $10 if you will give me $1. Deal. Deal? <laughs> well, show me your dollar. Yeah, I have plenty. You have, oh, okay. Michael works at Home Depot. And he does a good job. So, you'll give me a dollar. No, a great job. He does a great job. And there's 10. Sweet, thank you. Is that a good deal? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, that's a, that's a good deal. Now, now let's, let's times that times a million. Think, but think about it. That's what we're talking about. The kingdom of heaven, he says, sell all you have. But all that we have is like a dollar. But what he gives us is more like a billion. I mean, it's really priceless. You can't even put a number on it. What would you give? eternal life now before we continue let's clarify the cost because we talk a lot about grace which is a free gift absolutely true that there's nothing you can do to earn salvation but does it cost to be a follower of Jesus does it cost the Bible says there is none righteous not even one so we can't earn it, is the point. We cannot earn it. Jesus paid the price on the cross. He said, it is finished. He accepted all of our sins onto his shoulders. So the price is paid. But when we say yes to Jesus, we place our faith in him. Then what does it cost? This is in your notes, and we'll look at a couple of verses. To rightly follow Jesus, it will cost you your life. Submission to Jesus as Lord Listen to John 12, 25 and 26. Whoever loves his life loses it. And whoever hates his life in this world will keep it for eternal life. If anyone serves me, he must follow me. And where I am, there will be my servant also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor, honor him. In Matthew 16... Flip over one page, Matthew 16, verse 24. Then Jesus told his disciples, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Jesus is very consistent in his teaching. We, we in the United States have gotten really comfortable with this easy believism. I just say I believe in Jesus, then do whatever I want, and I get my fire insurance. Really, the Bible teaches life is about following Jesus, and so the cost of following him could be everything. A few years ago, I was teaching, and I've shared this story before, I was teaching at camp, and a young man uh, gave his life, wanted to give his life to Jesus, and he was just bawling. And I said, what are you feeling right now? And he said, scared. I said, what? Scared? What are you scared of? He said, because I have this plan for my life. But if I say yes to Jesus, he might change that plan. And he might have me do something different. I went, wow, you get it. <laughs> I said, you're absolutely, he might. He might say no. He, he had a certain, it wasn't sin that he wanted to do. It was just a career path he wanted to go. I said, you're right. Are you willing to say no to that, to say yes to whatever he wants? He said, yeah, he's worth it. What we're going to do, we're going to look at the next parable in a minute, but I want just to take a minute. We're going to sing a song and you can sing, you can sit, but meditate. Think about the value of Jesus because when we gather, one of the benefits is together we get to worship Jesus. We want to look to him and adore him. And so before we move to the next parable, let's just spend a few minutes thinking about worshiping Jesus for who he is, because this is the other side of that coin. Now, by the way, this parable we're going to look at next is not really uh, culturally acceptable. Because in our society right now, it's popular to believe whatever you want to believe is good for you and whatever I want to believe is good for me. That truth is relative. Uh, There's another popular belief that has gained traction over the last, I'd say, decade. You know, it's been forever, but gaining traction, and that's universalism. That because God is loving and full of grace, everybody will be saved in the end, no matter what. What I told you at the beginning, though, the Bible is clear on some things, and that's one of the things it is clear on, and we need to understand that. And so Jesus teaches this next parable in Matthew 13, starting in verse 47. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it ashore ashore, and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the end of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Jesus makes very clear there is no middle ground. He says elsewhere that either you're in his family or you're his enemy. You're either with him or against him. There is no walking the fence with Jesus, like maybe I'll believe, but I still want my stuff. He says he's like a treasure. You give all to follow him. And then some things he might give back to you and let you take care of in this life. But here we must make a choice. Here's the, the picture. And some of Jesus's disciples were fishermen and they were near the Sea of Galilee as he was teaching these things. But they had this method of fishing where they would have two boats and they would drop a net between them and, and row toward shore. And they would just gather, whatever they gathered would gather in that net and they'd pull it on shore. I had a similar strategy when I was a kid. I'd go to the town park and I'd put a bucket in the water and I'd set it there on the shore and I'd just wait. And I'd watch. And all the little minnows would swim in front of it. And then I'd jump in the water and scare them all away. And the ones in front of the bucket would hit the bottom and I'd pick it up real quick and then I'd take them home. Kind of like that. They'd have a, a bucket full of fish. They'd have a net full of fish and then they would sit down and they would sort them. And so for the Jews, there were some fish that were clean. There were other fish that were unclean. If a a fish didn't have scales, they couldn't eat it. It was considered unclean. If a fish didn't have fins, it was considered unclean. They couldn't eat it. So they would sort through. Okay, here's a trout. I don't know if they had trout in the Sea of Galilee, but they had many different kinds of fish. I think 70 some or more different kinds of fish. And they would take the good ones and put them here and take them to market. The bad ones, they would throw out. They wouldn't just throw them back. They would throw them out. As you see here, and that's the picture, that in the end, and we already looked at, Jesus is going to return. There's going to be a trumpet sound, and he returns, and at that point, the decision to follow him or not is over. You know, if you're here thinking, I'll just wait till that day, well, you might get hit by a bus on the way out. It's too late. He may, when he's on his way down, and you're like, oh, no, it was right. It's too late. <laughs> and that's what he's talking about right here, is there will be a sorting, and it looks like the angels are involved but a sorting of the evil from the righteous. By the way, what makes the righteous righteous? Exactly. We got to get that. It's Jesus. It's the blood of Jesus that covers the sinner, me, and makes him righteous. I'm not righteous, but God looks at me and sees me righteous because he sees Jesus. That's the righteous, not self-righteous. We can become proud if we think there's something valuable about us that sets us apart. There's not. Just Jesus covering us. So he separates the evil from the righteous. And he talks about in the end, they will go to, what's he say here? That place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. In Revelation 20, 11 through 15, we have these verses up on screen. You can look at this. This talks about that eternal judgment. Do we have those? We don't have Well, I'm just going to read them then. Revelation 20. verses 11 through 15. Then I saw a great white throne and him who seated on it, by the way, that's Jesus, from his presence, earth and sky fled away and no place was found for them. And I saw the dead, great and small, standing before the throne and books were opened. Then another book was opened, which is the book of life. And the dead were judged by what was written in the books according to what they had done. There are plenty of other passages that talk about this same thing. The place of weeping and gnashing of teeth, the fiery furnace, or here, the lake of fire. It is a place that God made for the fallen angels, for demons. He didn't make it for us, but those who don't choose to follow Jesus, that's where they end up. This isn't just historical, you know, Dante's Inferno. Maybe you've read that. This isn't just mythology. This is true biblical truth. There is a heaven, which is an eternal heaven new heaven, new earth, there is a hell. Everybody actually will live eternally. Some believe that we will just be annihilated. If you don't follow Jesus, when you die, you just cease to exist. That's not what the Bible teaches. There is a hell. There will be a separating in the end, and there's plenty of other parables that talk about that. Wheat growing with weeds. Let them grow together, and in the end, we're going to separate the wheat from the weeds, and the weeds will go be burned. This is the other side. This should do two things. Here's what this did when I was a kid. This scared the hell out of me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I was at camp and this scared, I was so scared of hell, <laughs> I better follow Jesus. And, and that's not a horrible motive. That motive won't sustain you with a life with Jesus. It, that sustaining must come from a love relationship with Jesus, of following him. But there is an aspect of, okay, if that's the truth, I got to follow him. And it's worth everything. I will give up everything to follow him. And how do you do that? Romans 10, 9 says, if you confess with your mouth, Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. That's what it takes. By the way, you know, when we talk about heaven and hell, we have to point out what is God's heart? Because a lot of people will like, oh, God is is an angry judge. God wants to send nobody there. In 2 Peter 3, 9, it says this. And this is actually talking about Jesus' return. You know, because people were wondering, why hasn't he come back yet? This is decades later. And Peter wrote this. The Lord is not slow about keeping his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Jesus hasn't returned because he wants more to be saved. He wants fewer to go to hell, the lake of fire, and he wants more to be with him. That's what he's waiting for. When Jesus returns at the end of the age, those who have placed their faith in him will enter life. Those who reject Jesus will not. You see, there's two sides of this coin. (laughs) It's very exciting. This treasure is worth everything. And then here's the other side. If you're not willing to sell everything to buy that treasure, Not only do you not get the treasure, you get the worst thing you could imagine. So what is it worth? What is Jesus worth? Do we believe this is true? Do you believe Jesus is the Son of God that died on the cross for our sins? And have you placed your faith in Him as Lord, willing to follow, willing to give up all? That's where life is found. I'm going to pray, and then Preston is going to lead us in the Lord's Supper where we get to respond in worship. And it's a time where if the Holy Spirit's working on you, this is a time for you to respond. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, you are the pearl that is priceless. You are the treasure that is worth everything. We will give it all up for you because you are worth it. Not just because we're scared of hell, not just because we're scared of punishment, but but Jesus, you are worth it. God in flesh, you left your throne. You put on a body so that you could die for us and you want to bless us with all blessings and and bring us into your family, you're worth it. You are worth it. Holy Spirit, I ask that you would lead us in this room. Convict us if we need to be convicted. Encourage us if we need to be encouraged. Lead us into worship of you because that's what we're going to be doing for eternity. In Jesus' name, amen.